0: Well, this morning we're continuing our series on Philippians and we come to the second half of Philippians chapter 1 and Paul's meditation on the role of suffering in the Christian life. And before we look at what Paul has to say, we need to acknowledge that Paul was not the first Christian, nor is he the last to meditate on the place of suffering in the lives of people who follow Jesus. Throughout church history, many theologians, many men and women have asked huge questions of of why God allows suffering in our lives. In more recent times, there have been plenty of questions asked about that. And one such recent writer who's asked questions about the role of suffering for Christians is the American journalist and broadcaster Philip Yancey. And a few years ago, he brought out a book entitled Disappointment with God, which deals with some of the core questions Christians have about suffering and its relationship to the God of the Bible. I have to confess this morning, I've not actually read this book. Though everything I have read by Philip Yancey has been very helpful to me. But I mention the book because I read about the first edition when it was published. Because when it was first published, on the back cover, there was a large yellow sticker placed there by the book's publishers offering a money-back guarantee. If you weren't completely satisfied with this book, you could write to the publishers and receive a full refund. And it seems to me the sticker sent a slightly odd message to the reader of Yancey's book. Basically, it's okay to be disappointed with God, but you're not allowed to be disappointed with this book. And if you are, then it's right for you to demand your money back. Modern day consumers just do not stand for disappointment. Disappointed with God. I wonder if Yancy's title resonates with you this morning. In my experience, a lot of people, both Christian and non-Christian, express a sense of disappointment with God in our lives. We're disappointed with God, disappointed with Jesus, disappointed with the church. For many of us, the Christian life is just too hard. For many, it just isn't worth The struggle. The culture in which we live assumes that suffering and struggle are bad things, and if we're experiencing them, then we must be doing something wrong. Then the product is wrong. And Christians in the West have bought into that mindset in a big way. Again, walk around any Christian bookshop today, and you'll find books all about how to live the triumphant Christian life triumphant over sin, triumphant over illness. Triumphant in relationships, in family life, in the workplace, in church life. You'll find books that promise us that if we can just unleash our potential as Christians, then we should be able to enjoy a life free of suffering, free of struggle—the life they say God wants us to live. There's a lot of people today say that, that struggle and suffering—they are evils that the Christian can do without. They presume they must always be contrary to God's plans for us. But then we come to Philippians chapter 1 and Paul's words bring us up short that they stop us in our tracks on the way to the bookshop because they ask huge and uncomfortable questions of our lives. Basically, does God want me to live a trouble-free life? Does God want me to live a life free of suffering, is that God's purpose for my life? Let me just read verses 29 to 30 again. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. These are startling words for us. Paul said suffering is a gift from God on a par with believing in God. What on earth does he mean by that? What possible good could come out of our suffering that it's somehow a sign of God's grace to us? Again, these words confuse us. We thought last week that, that Philippians, that's Paul's letter on joy. In the Christian life. Surely words like this should feel hopelessly out of place in this letter. But then we look closer. And actually, it's not a great surprise that Paul meditates on suffering in this letter. We saw last week, it's been acknowledged this morning, Paul is writing this letter from prison in Rome. He's been imprisoned elsewhere for around three years, and now he's going to be in prison in Rome for at least another two. Paul was in chains when he wrote this letter. So it's actually not that surprising that Paul meditates on suffering. What is surprising is what Paul says about the place of suffering in the Christian life. Because according to Paul, suffering for Christ is a vital part of following Christ. And God uses experiences of suffering to bring about his good purposes in our lives and in our world. Now, I don't want to be glib or trite about suffering this morning, and neither did Paul. In Philippians 1, we are reading insights that God has given Paul at tremendous personal cost to Paul. It wasn't easy for Paul to find these things out. Let's be clear, Paul is no masochist in Philippians 1. He's not, he's not a Buddhist either. He thinks suffering is just an illusion that spiritual people should be able to just switch off. No, for Paul... Suffering for Christ was just that. It was suffering. It hurt Paul. We're in no doubt from the opening of Philippians that if Paul had the choice, he would not be in prison right now. He would be with the Philippian Christians he loved so much. Paul, he was a driven and gifted evangelist. He could have been travelling the Gentile world telling people about Christ. Yet here he is in prison, denied his freedom, Facing possible execution. See, let's be clear here. Paul is not being glib. Philippians 1, are, it's full of insights from God that have been hard won by Paul. So we don't know the questions, the doubts Paul would have wrestled with in prison over these years. But what we do know is what God showed Paul about the role of suffering in his life. And it's a perspective that we can all learn from this morning. Maybe you're a Christian who feels, well, I've not really experienced suffering in my life. Well, you need to hear Paul's words here, because Paul says suffering will come to all of us in varying forms, in different degrees. But we need to be ready for it. Or maybe you're a Christian who feels, yes, I have suffered i am suffering i am struggling so much well then you can hear paul's words here because paul he knows what it means to suffer and he's convinced god has taught him things we can learn from that suffering or maybe you're not a christian here this morning well actually it is important for you to hear paul's words here too It is wrong to walk into the Christian life thinking this is a life that will be easy, that will be triumph-following by triumph-following triumph. Because that's not Paul's experience. It's not the experience of many of the Christians here this morning. And so we need to be clear-sighted about that. We need to listen to what Paul says we can expect in following Christ. So that if you've not yet chosen to do that, then you're prepared for this. So let's look at this passage together now. See, as we've already acknowledged, for many modern day Christians, experiences of suffering, they are hard for us to understand. We, we sort of ask the question, well, is this really God's will for me? Have I somehow stepped out of God's purposes? And that's why I'm experiencing this suffering. Well, just to encourage us in a way, it seems in verse 12 that the Philippian Christians shared a lot of those questions when it came to Paul's imprisonment. They just couldn't help thinking of Paul sitting in prison and that being a tragedy for Paul, a disaster even. It was such a waste of potential. They perhaps wondered, is it the devil's work? Is the devil conspired to get Paul put into prison? I mean the early church is missing its foremost evangelist with Paul in prison. I mean surely the gospel is suffering as a result of Paul's imprisonment. You see verse 12, Paul writes to reassure them. His time in prison, he says, was not a disaster. Quite the opposite, in fact. Verse 12, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And this is Paul's key insight in the place of suffering. Suffering in God's good purposes. Suffering for Christ, Paul says, helps to advance the gospel in our world and also in our lives. Again, look at verse 12 again with me. See how Paul phrases himself here. He describes his imprisonment as what has happened to me. And we need to be really clear. Paul had not planned To spend five years in prison. It's not what he would have chosen to happen. But it had happened. And God had graciously enabled Paul to see something of his purposes in Paul's time in prison. And rather than hindering the gospel, Paul's time in prison, he feels, has actually helped the spread of the gospel. Verse 13. As a result, Paul writes, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone that I am in chains for Christ. Now, the palace guard in Rome, that was known as the Praetorian Guard, it numbered between 13,000 and 14,000 soldiers. And as a free man, Paul could never have won himself such a large audience of Roman soldiers. But because of Paul's chains, huge numbers of soldiers were now hearing about Christ. Again, we're not quite sure, but Paul probably would have been chained to a Roman soldier at all times during his house arrest in Rome. And it's not difficult to imagine how Paul might have used that situation. I mean, first thing in the morning, a member of the palace guard begins his shift with Paul. He locks Paul's chains to himself. Hello, I'm Paul, the prisoner says. What's your name? The soldier gives his name, maybe his rank. Where do you come from? The soldier tells him where he's from. Have you travelled far in your service? Have you travelled across the empire at all? The soldier says where he's been. Oh, Thessalonica, Paul says. I I know the place well. I spent some great weeks there. A few years ago, the soldier asks Paul what he was doing there. I was telling people about a man called Jesus Christ. Because he's the Son of God. You see, through him, we have peace with the living God. And the soldier continues his shift with Paul. Maybe 12 hours later, the soldier's shift is over. He unlocks himself from Paul, hands Paul's chains to the next soldier who dutifully locks Paul's chains to him. Hello, I'm Paul, says the prisoner. What's your name? Verse 13, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard that I am in chains for Christ. Paul was a prisoner, but he also had a captive audience for his message about Jesus. And Paul was using it, he writes to the Philippians. It was only as a prisoner that Paul had access to the palace guard. And he recognises God's hand in that. See, 13,000 soldiers, all of whom needed to hear about Jesus, Paul wouldn't have chosen this opportunity, but he makes the most of it. Paul was convinced that his imprisonment was actually a sign of God's grace to those soldiers. And Paul's chains didn't just bless the palace guard. Verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And he writes to Philippians And made an impact on the believers in Rome as well. And the end of Acts tells us that while he was in prison, Paul was able to, to welcome visitors. And that would have included the believers in Rome. And Paul could encourage those believers that from his experience, the Word of God was powerful and trustworthy. He could tell those believers of times when God had given him the courage to share the Gospel. And the very fact that Paul was willing to suffer for Christ it was a huge testimony to what Christ had done in his life, to how faithful Christ was. And that made a huge impact on the Roman believers. See, Paul wants the Philippians to know God was using his imprisonment, his suffering, to share the gospel with Roman soldiers and to encourage believers in Rome to share the gospel where they were. See, God was using Paul's sufferings in prison to advance the spread of the gospel in the world. And God still uses the suffering of his people to do that. You only have to glance over the history of Christian mission to see that. For example, famously in January 1956, the American missionary Jim Elliot and four others were were speared to death by the Horani Indians in Ecuador as they sought to share the gospel with them. And the result of that, that horrible death was that thousands of other Christians across the world were encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Mission organizations saw a huge increase in applicants as people said, I want to share the gospel with the passion of Jim Elliot and his companions. Those who stayed where they were said I want to learn the passion for God that those men had. And within a few years large numbers of the Harani Indians themselves became Christians. So impressed were they by the price those missionaries were willing to pay for them to hear about Christ. And Jim it's not the only missionary in history who through his suffering advanced the gospel in the world. Just think of people like David Brainerd Hudson Taylor, C.T. Studd, all of them suffered for Christ and their suffering helped advance the gospel in the lives of unbelievers and the lives of believers. See, our world is not interested in simply hearing words about Jesus. But when people see followers of Jesus willing to suffer, to make him known, well, they sit up. They pay Attention. For Paul, his suffering helped validate his message. And Christians who suffer for Christ today experience the same thing God using their suffering to further the gospel among other Christians, among people who don't yet know Christ. And suffering for Christ doesn't just advance the gospel in the world it also advances the gospel in our lives. So we need to be really careful with this. According to Paul, suffering for Christ, it's not just the preserve of apostles and missionaries. No, we're all called to suffer for Christ if we're Christians. And it wasn't that Paul's suffering was a special case, that he was lucky enough to see good come out of it. No, in verses 29 to 30, Paul argues again that suffering for Christ is a sign of God's grace to every believer. Suffering for Christ, it's part of following Christ. And God will often bring about his good purposes in our lives through experiences of suffering. And in fact, when you read over the pages of the New Testament, the shocking thing is that without times of trial and struggle and frustration and opposition, New Testament writers are convinced there will be very little joy in knowing Jesus. It is a great paradox. It is only when we discover how much we need Christ in our suffering that we begin to rejoice that, that he is willing to help us. That he is able to help us. Suffering for Christ leads to a deeper knowledge of Jesus that we just would not gain if we just coast along for 20, 30 years. I so just want to finish our time by looking at some of Paul's insights into how God uses times of suffering and frustration to deepen the gospel in our lives, to deepen our understanding of Jesus, our joy in knowing Jesus. And first of all, Paul learns that through suffering, we are forced to trust not in ourselves, but in God's sovereignty, in the sovereign God of God. Again, just, just read over the book of Acts in the New Testament. Read over some of Paul's letters. It is clear, Paul was just an amazingly gifted man. And there are places in his letters where he alludes to, to some struggles with pride he had. As a result, he was gifted. He, he was good at what he did. How did God help Paul overcome those tendencies towards pride? Well, Paul is really clear God did that through allowing Paul to go through times of suffering in his life. That is how God kept Paul humble. And sitting in prison in Rome, Paul was forced to see something that became more and more precious to him in his life. And that was that Paul was not the measure of all things. Paul was discovering that it's not all about him. It's actually all about Christ and what he is doing through his people. See, in prison, Paul was forced to face up to his limitations. It wasn't him going around Rome telling people about Jesus. Actually, it was the believers in Rome who were encouraged by him. Paul might have sat in his cell and thought, I'm sure I could do a better job. But no, he said, that is God's sovereignty I need to trust. God's place for me right now is in prison. His place for the believers in Rome is to be encouraged by me to tell others of Jesus. See, Paul's chains taught him humility in a profound way. It forced him to place his life completely into God's hands, rather than believing that Paul was somehow master of his own destiny. And if we're honest, isn't the same true of us? When things are easy, we just... Imagine it's down to us. We take the glory for ourselves. We imagine, well, of course life's quite easy. I'm, I'm quite good at this Christianity thing. See, often God uses experiences of, of suffering to show us how much we need Him, to show us that we are not the measure of all things. We're all naturally pride people. So God allows us to experience opposition frustration, suffering as we follow him, to show us just how much we need to rely on God in our lives. Again, just look with me at verse 30. Again. Paul writing, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. See, Paul's saying there the life of the Christian is a struggle and it's meant to be. We, we struggle with our own hearts, with the, with the sinfulness in our hearts. We struggle living in a world that is hostile to God, that dismisses Christians as mad to believe in Jesus. We struggle with our enemy, the devil, who is very subtle, who attacks us at every turn. If you've experienced struggle in your life as a Christian, it's not because you're doing something wrong. It's not because you're, you're just rubbish at following Jesus. Actually, it may well be that it is a sign that God is doing something very important in your life. That God in his grace wants to show you more of his faithfulness and his sufficiency for you as you struggle to live for him. And let's be clear again, what Paul talks about when he talks about suffering for Christ, he's not just talking about suffering in spectacular, dramatic Ways. See, Paul's time in prison, he was a Roman citizen. He would not have faced torture in prison. It wasn't that he was on the rack every day. About some of the toughest times for Paul were the times of isolation. Were the times even of boredom. And for many of us, the hardest thing about rejoicing in knowing Jesus is when our lives just seem... A little dull, a little mundane, unexciting. You see, suffering for Christ includes those times of frustration. Times we feel as if we will never grow in our love for Jesus. Times when our hearts just feel cold towards him. It includes the struggles we have to remain faithful while juggling with responsibilities for for our family. Struggling with pressures at work. Struggling with the ups and downs of our emotions see the christian life is a struggle it doesn't have to be in dramatic ways but it is hard and paul says it is meant to be because in that struggle we're forced to stop trusting in ourselves and to start trusting in the god who calls us to follow him and who has good purposes for us in the midst of our struggles Because secondly, and paradoxically for Paul, through suffering we learn more of God's goodness to us. If you glance over verses 18 to 26, Paul's contemplating his future there. Paul's trial before Caesar will either result in his freedom or in his execution. But either way, Paul has become convinced in prison that, that God is good in his dealings with Paul. He is convinced of God's goodness towards him. And verse 21 has already been read out this morning. It's the record of Paul's perspective on life and death that he gained in prison. Verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Can you see Paul's confidence in God's sovereignty and God's goodness here. See, what Paul isn't saying is simply, I want to die and go to heaven. Neither is he saying, I want to live and do great things for Jesus. Through his suffering, Paul has learned that either life or death will ultimately be for Paul's good. Because that is how God treats his people. If Paul lives he will live with Christ. And his knowledge and experience of God's love and patience with him will grow. And if Paul dies, he will be with Christ, which is better by far, verse 23, but which is no less assured than if he lives another 20 years. See, as a church, we should pray for Paul's perspective on life and death, to shape our lives and lead us to worship God, to trust in Him. See, life for the Christian is a struggle. It can only be lived in full dependence on Christ. And that is why Paul describes his life as to live is Christ. Christ is what it's all about. It's not about Paul, it's about Christ. And that is a mark of God's goodness to Paul. That he wants Paul to know more of Christ. And God wants us to know more of Christ's patience with us, his grace towards us, his compassion on us. To live is Christ, and to die is gain, Paul is convinced. Our future is assured if we belong to Christ. If we die before Christ returns, we will be with him, and when Christ does return, we will be in the new creation, with him with resurrection bodies amazingly for the Christian either life or death is for our good and so we can rejoice in God's goodness towards us Paul's final perspective on God's grace in our suffering draws together those first two that through suffering we gain a deeper knowledge of Christ who suffered for us See, God's good purposes in our suffering settle ultimately on on His desire that we grow in our knowledge of Jesus. That in the process we are transformed into Jesus-likeness. And next week in Philippians 2 we're going to see what imitating Christ should look like in our life as a church. But for now, Paul leaves us with with like a rallying call. Verse 27. Paul writes, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of, of the gospel of christ whatever happens paul says paul knows that every christian is different he doesn't claim to know what will happen to him or to the philippian christians and similarly none of us knows what the future holds for us some of us may go on to suffer greatly for christ others may feel we have been spared suffering in our lives See, our lives are not ultimately in our hands. They're in the hands of the sovereign God. But what is in our control is how, what we do with the lives God has given us. And Paul urges us here, live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And what does Paul mean by that? Well, clearly he doesn't mean live a morally upright life. Live a religious life. Somehow earn your salvation. Because that would be precisely to deny the gospel of Christ. See, what Paul's getting at is very different. In your life, Paul is saying, whatever happens, whether freedom or frustration, whether sickness or health, in good times and in bad, trust in Christ's grace demonstrated in the gospel. And as you suffer and struggle for him, you will grasp in a deeper way Christ's suffering and struggle for you to win your salvation. See, if you're a Christian here today, you follow a crucified Lord. And so if we truly want to know him and find joy in him, then Paul says we must also suffer for him. And when that suffering comes, it is possible for us to react with bitterness and resentment towards Christ. It is possible for us to walk away from Christ as a result of that suffering. But Paul urges the Philippians here, Paul urges us here, to react differently to that. The gospel of Christ is centered on the cross of Christ, On the Son of God who submitted himself to his Father and paid a cost of enormous suffering that we could have peace with God. Live in a manner worthy of that gospel, Paul Christ. Worthy of that Christ. Entrust yourself to God. Whatever happens to you. Hold on to the purposes of God, that his purposes are good, whether in life or in death. And as you struggle with frustration and opposition and suffering, ask Jesus to show you more of himself and to help you see the end of that suffering and frustration with him in the new creation. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Suffering for Christ advances the gospel in our world. When Christians are prepared to suffer for their faith in Christ, people are forced to sit up and pay attention. In suffering for Christ, we demonstrate Christ's character to our world. And suffering for Christ also advances the gospel in our hearts. Because none of us really trusts in the gospel as much as we could. Paradoxically, as we suffer, we get a glimpse into Christ's suffering and that in turn can increase our joy in knowing what Christ went through because he loves us. As we experience Christ's compassion on us, Christ's patience with us, Christ's mercy for us. Suffering is a sign of God's grace towards us. Paul writes, let's pray that we would see it as such, that we would trust in Christ and we would know his enabling and power with us as we suffer.